Welcome to season one, episode 1.1. This is a sequel to the first episode of Eno Tools University. Today, we are very fortunate to have with us Mr. Olivier Henry. Good morning, Olivier. Good morning, Joe. And, and we have none other than the old school gangster, Mr. Stefan Radu. Hello. Uh, a man whose reputation in the, uh, in the world of, of oak with respect to tannin, et cetera, precedes him, a name which really requires no explanation. And we also have Mr. Doug Manning. You could hand him a grapevine and uh, sometime later he could hand you a bottle. One of the guys who knows all the guys has been there, done that, got the t-shirt, has been a winemaker and uh, transitioned over into sales. How many years now, Doug? Five oh. Wow. That's a yeah. couple. Um, yeah, that's older than I am. So my role here as uh, Joe from Eno Tools is just to uh, sort of gently guide the conversation. But our goal here is to drill down, get into a little bit more detail about, uh, you know, the first phases of winemaking. Let's say, picture yourself in a situation where you know, harvest is either uh, right around the corner or it's today or it's tomorrow. And uh, assuming that you've had time to plan ahead, uh, we're talking about tannin and what application uh, you might need them for and, and how to use them and what's available and, and why what's in it, who made it, whether or not it's organic matters, what it does and how much to use. Um, and we're going to try to cover all that in a in a level of detail, which you should find useful and should lead to questions. So we don't plan to cover absolutely every nut and bolt, but it should be technical enough that you'll know what questions to ask. And uh, I can put you in touch with anybody here uh, if it's a hard enough question. So without any further delay, Doug, if you'd like to get us going and then uh, pass the ball where necessary to, to talk about the process and talk about what products are out there and all that, I'll let you get going. I'll be brief, uh, fermentation tannin being the starting point here. It's very, very commonly used uh, throughout the industry. I'm in California and my territory is the United States. So winemaking here, uh, while inherited from European and, and other countries uh, in practice, we use tannin a lot for color stability, for flavor, uh, for enhancing less than optimum grapes during ripeness, et cetera. And um, it's a very, very competitive market. There's a lot of sources of tannin, a lot of different woods and plant origins. If you look at the TTB definitions and the, and the FDA definitions of tannin, you'll find that it's pretty broad brush. Uh, we're speaking pretty uh, specific to oak tannins and in fact, French oak tannins. So that's going to be the topic here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pass this on to Stefan, as he is the producer of the French oak tannins. Thank you, Doug. Uh, yeah, the topic here is about harvest grapes. And yeah, tannin is just a tool. Uh, the thing is, first question, is your harvest of the quality you want or not? Do you have the correct ripeness? Do you have the correct acidity? Do you have 
uh, are, are you okay with the color extraction you're getting? Do you have any botrytis on your grape? All those questions are gonna lead to action from the winemaker. Seems like tannin can be a nice helper here. But after it depends how you use it, when, what dosage, and also what type of tannin. Because tannin is, is a very generic world, word for so many things behind it. Uh, because, okay, you can have oak tannin, you can have grapeseed tannin, you can have gallic, uh, all, all sorts of gallic acids. Um, but after that you say that, it's also, it's also depend how it is processed. Um, we made the choice to focus on oak. Oak for um, French oak, matured, well matured, so you only leave what is necessary to uh, inside, inside the oak, and also to focus on some very specific extraction technique. The idea here would be to address, to address uh, very specifically each topic, each issue the winemakers have. Um, but on all those very technical topics, I'm going to leave, send the, the stick to Olivier because he's our genius here, our engineer in research here. Yeah, basically the use of tannins is quite wide, but if you are using it at early stages into the winemaking process, you are mainly uh, uh, requiring the antioxidizing properties of the uh, of the tannins. And that's why uh, the tannins that are used for before the fermentation or during the fermentations are um, tannins that have that exhibit the more uh, anti antioxidizing properties. The tannins that are used afterwards during the maturation process are more fine tannins and are more ded dedicated to uh, the enhancement of the structure and uh, as well as the, the flavor. But when used into the fermentation process and before the fermentation, okay, it can help to um, to to fight against botrytis, but as well for coral stabilization. But for that uh, use, you don't need very fine tannins, and you 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 need more uh, basic tannins. Uh, we we made some some choices in our products because uh, we made some special uh, mixtures of tannins uh, for for that application uh, because there are uh, some synergies between hydrolyzable tannins and condensed tannins and depend depending uh, on the, the 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 level of input and the uh, the, the the way you 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 put it into your process uh, this balance between hydrolyzable tannins and condensed tannins is is important and that's part of our uh, technology and that's the reason why we have uh, se several products for the same application or similar application, depending of if it's 
red grape or white grapes or uh, whether if you use it pre-fermentation or during the fermentation or after the fermentation. It's interesting. So, Olivier, if you would, could you please uh, elaborate a little bit more? Let's say, um, is it more common to use tannin before fermentation on whites or reds? Before before fermentation, it's mainly for I would say for reds because it will help to stabilize the color, but as well for the for the whites that are somewhere more sensitive to botrytis, uh, it can help as well. Yeah, but uh, for the whites, it's less for color stabilization, of course, uh, but for, for the reds, it's for color stabilization. And that's the reason why the we have two products, uh, one dedicated for the whites and one dedicated for the reds, uh, because the the use the final usage uh, or the needs for the reds and for the whites are a little bit different. I, I shall just emphasize on the botrytis aspect because we uh, we have been for a couple of years working on that with some clients and uh, treating it with Altan um, VBX for 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 say uh, work extremely well. Um, it's just like good medicine. If you use it early in stage, as soon as you see the grape with botrytis, uh, you can save your, your harvest. So I've seen in my travels, um, typically I'm there in the, in the process equipment realm, definitely not as an enologist. I have asked some, some cursory questions out of curiosity while on site at that moment. Uh, about the use of oak dust in the bin on the crush pad. Is that, is that pretty normal for how you would apply oak tannin prior to fermentation? The issue with oak dust or, uh, is that, uh, yes, it can be used, of course, uh, but uh, it will not, the effect will not be as immediate as tannins because, of course, from, from the dust, uh, the, the tannins from the dust have to be extracted and it takes time, uh, even if it's dust. Uh, with the tannin, you have some immediate effects, and so you you have a better efficiency, of course. So would and you be using a, a liquid tannin in that case instead? Yeah, uh, the dosage is, of course, much more easier uh, because when, when using oak, oak dust, you, you never know the, the, the yield of extraction and what you exactly have into your dust. But here with the pure tannin, whether in powder or in liquid form, you can dose exactly, uh, you, you can put the, the exact dose, the dosage uh, into your wine and for, for your process. Now, so, if we have to choose between power, tannin in powder or tannin in liquid, we, we are aiming more using it liquid for a couple of reasons. First, um, health of the people manipulating the tannin. Uh, when you have dust, it's so thin that you have to wear a mask in order to not breathe the, the tannin. Um, with liquid, you don't have that issue and uh, that's good. The other part is how to apply. Um, if you apply it on um, as dust, 
you might have areas where you have a lot area where you don't have because to spray it over the grapes it's not that easy with tannin you can sprinkle around the grape it's really uh uniform around another correct term it's really um it's spray evenly across the the harvest so for that reason uh you have the maximum effect we are always aiming to with our client to say how can you use the minimum amount of the product for the maximum effect and in this regard liquid is aiming into that direction on top on top of that i would like to add that uh if you are using oak dust of, of course it will work but it's a very basic treatment and our uh, our tannins and our tannin mixtures are much more complex and I, as i already mentioned the um, the the balance between condensed tannins and uh, oxidable tannins are uh, is is important into the process and uh, our aox or our vbx uh, grades are mixtures of tannins that are balanced to give the better synergy uh, at the right moment and if you are using oak dust you have only one type of tannin and it will be much more much less efficient than uh, than the, the mixture we are proposing yeah the deep study olivier did um, in a couple of years ago wasn't really for uh, the wine industry but for all the type of industry and his study shown that uh, synergy uh, blending tannins create something else. You totally change the, the speed, the velocity of the tanning, and uh, you create, you know, having something uh, create something else. This is why we have chosen to, to be extremely, uh, to go really into that direction of blending. So you create more. So if you were talking to a brand new winemaker, who is someplace where, let's say, underripe fruit is uh, a little bit of a challenge. How would a winemaker in a, in a climate or in an area like that be prepared going into harvest? What products should they have on hand? One of the things that I've found works best, and I'm, I'm because I have 5.0, I can get away with it, is to ask the winemaker to take me to the vineyard and ask the winemaker what the history of the vineyard has been, who's buying the grapes, what kind of wines are they making, what is his stylistic goal, and how is he planning to achieve it? That last part is directed to your question. How are you looking to achieve it? If you have small little blackberries at optimum ripeness, you're not going to worry about color extraction. You're going to worry a little bit about color stability dependent on the growing season, the finishing pH, and so forth. Uh, for a grape like that, you would not necessarily look at a highly, ox, highly antiox tannin like the EBX EBX, but maybe perhaps more of a 810 EBX 810 powder, something that is more of the, that is pure French oak tannin. Uh, without the other um, woods that we've that are available to the winemaker, um, you can get down to a very specific dose on that kind of stuff. 
it's a good idea to have a little bit of everything perhaps, but it's probably a better idea to align yourself with a supplier that understands what your stylistic and winemaking goals are. You mentioned botrytis a couple of times. What should you have on hand to address that potentially, or is there a fix? Yeah, for this kind of, let's say, sour rot or things like that, similar, uh, I would advise to use pure uh, oak tannin. And uh, it, it, will, it will a little bit block uh, the effect of the, of the rot. But as well, uh, if you are using, uh, let's say, a medium toasted uh, tannin, uh, it will as well cover uh the uh this uh, the the this sour effect or uh, and um it's it's quite efficient so uh for, for that and uh i would advise to use abx12 for instance which is fruit gives a, a fruit fruity type of toasting and this will cover the imperfections of the wine it's working quite well especially on whites when you change toasting levels, how mm -hmm. does it change the chemical personality of those different tannins? Tannins are oligomers. The oak tannins, at least, are oligomers. And they are elagitanins. So they are based on elagic acid, which is a dimmer of the gallic acid. And these elagic monomers are linked with sugars. And uh, the way you toast, it will cut and depolymerize the tannins. So the more toasting you have, the more monomers you have as well. And uh, it gives, of course, the monomers are smaller molecules and so are, are um, reacting much easier than polymers. So the more toasting you have, the more monomers you have and so the more reacting groups you have as well but the more reacting groups you have means as well that you have an immediate reaction while if you have more oligomers or more polymers the tannins will act more slowly in time it will last longer so you have a, you will have a quicker action for more toasted tannins, but you will have not necessarily the effect during a long time. That's one thing. The other the other thing is, as I said, you depolymerize and you create sugar, and with the toasting, uh, the sugar reacts and makes a reaction, like uh, the way you produce caramel, for instance. Huh? You, you eat sugar and you create caramel. So the more toasting you have, the more you change your final organoleptic profile, in fact. You have more sweeter uh, final results, in fact. It really depends on what you are looking after. Okay, the personality of your wine, and as well, the grape variety, of course. That's the first layer. That's the layer of the oak. In tannin, you have a second layer, which is a layer of extraction technique. Uh, and this one is important because if you extract, let's say, the hard way, you're going to bring everything of the oak all together. And so you're going to mix 
those molecules with others that normally would never find their way into the wine. And this would have an effect on the final result. We have chosen to go very, very specific on our extraction technique to make it water, osmosis water-based and at low temperature. So we are able to mirror exactly the window of extraction of a barrel in a cellar with some wine. For this reason, you only bring the molecule Olivier was talking about and not a handful of other things that are going to create more work for the winemaker and more issues to take care of. So yeah, those two layers are, are very, very important for us. This is almost all glued together now in my mind. While I could not explain it in, in, uh, in a chemistry vocabulary, my palate does know exactly what you're talking about, about the darker toast. The only thing that's missing for me is knowing how much like, how, is there a difference? Is there a tipping point where if you add a certain amount of tannin that it achieves something you didn't want it to? Um, or is there a sweet spot where it's, uh, where anything up to a certain point will work? No, it, re it really depends on of your, uh, your grape quality and of your har harvest. Uh, Okay, typically uh, you use, uh, you can start at 10 to 15 grams per hectoliter, uh, but uh, you, it really depends on what you, you want to achieve. If you want to add structure or, or if you want to, uh, to, uh, to, change, to mimic uh, oak uh, bar barrel aging, or if you want to just uh, to, to cover uh, the imperfections due to to botrytis or sour rot or whatever. So it really depends on, on, on your goal, uh, and um, yeah, uh, and as and as as well as well of course of your grape variety. Uh, on on whites, you typically use less tannins than on, on reds. Um, that's a question of structure and. Uh, uh, so it's 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 really difficult to 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 give a standard dosage. We we say typically we say uh, use ten start to make a trial at ten gram per hecto and see what happens and uh, see if you you need more or uh, if you are happy with that or if you if it's even too much structuring then you can reduce a little bit the the, the dosage, but it's. It depends as well on the style of wine you, you, you want to, to produce, of course. It's also a matter of matrix, of the matrix within the wine. Some tannins are going to have a greater effect on or open greater direction linked to a type of matrix. Also, we are here talking about a pre-fermentation um, time frame. Uh, so fermentation is going to degrade the uh, the tannin effect so so basically you you are talking here higher dosage for um, at one point but it's going to have a slow a smoother effect due to the fermentation that's going to pass on to uh, experience at the end is key experience of your wine mm -hmm. of your terroir of the way you process uh, is going to help you year by year, understand 
what is the best way to, uh, to use tenant. So at the end, you're able to use as little as possible for the maximum effect. Typically, uh, below or at, at five gram per hecto or below, uh, you can use you will still have an effect of uh, of the tannins uh, of the antioxidizing uh, power of the tannins, but you will not be able to taste it to to recognize that the the the, the wine has been treated with tannins. You will not have the, the the typical astringency or bitterness of the of the tannins. Uh, this will start at six seven gram to ten gram per hectoliter then you can you will taste you will start to taste the tannins but at uh, at dosage at five or below five gram per hecto you will have still have a protection effect of the tannins but you will not be able to taste it in the into the wine I emphasize I use the word that uh, is important for us is astringency Astringency is normally one of the names that goes with tannin. But once again, it comes down to how is the tannin extracted. It's, uh, we don't want astringency uh, to a point in wine. So this is why by using uh, low temperature water-based, osmosis water-based extraction, you are just uh, getting a level of astringency so so low that you are not in exactly in the same ballgame that a standard tannin. So that's important. So is there a difference? I'm thinking about um, an addition rate, which is below the perceptible threshold and I understand, Stefan, what you were saying about the, the quality of product based on the manufacturing process probably has an effect on where the where that perception occurs. So if it's a higher quality product, you could probably add more than a, than you could with a competing product um, before you started to notice its presence in the wine. Mm-hmm. Um, is there also... Is, I, I would say, sorry, I would say it's the opposite. In fact... Okay. For a uh, point of quality, you'll, you'll be using half of what you're, you've been used to. And you'll have, you'll have not the effect, the negative effect you are used to, uh, not only because you are using less and you have a multiplier effect, but also because those bad effects don't exist in, in tannin using certain type of extraction techniques. And also, so we, we, we talk te- uh, extraction technique, but sourcing of the product is also key. Um, we are here in the food type food industry. So as French, we always refer to cuisine, to cooking. And uh, it's always about how do you source your, your material? How do you grow it? How do you process it? So you'll have the better taste to You'll have the maximum with the minimum. That's the philosophy here. Okay. So is the amount that you put in tied to how quickly it works? In other words, does it work faster if it's a higher dose or is it, does it? Oh. Uh, 
it will not act faster. The speed of action is the nature of the tannin. So oak tannin will work at a certain rate. Grape tannin will work at a different rate, etc., uh, etc. Et and that's why we are using some blends because we are using uh, some. There, there are some synergy between the tannins, and this synergy allows to act faster. In fact, but whatever whatever the uh, the concentration you are using of if you are using a pure tannin pure oak pure grape pure whatever it will act at exactly the same level the the same speed of action it uh, doesn't the speed of action is not dependent on, on the dosage i wonder in the case where someone is is buying tannin in this day and age from a number of different sources what assurance do they have that the tannin they're using is actually safe and good and natural? Like, what's the best way to prove that? Uh, let's focus here on the oak. Um, we we are specialized really on oak tannins, and because you know from uh, oak sourcing and stuff. Uh, terroir, you it's a it's a something that is very well known in. Uh, in wine, but it also exists for trees. Um, the type of soil, the type, uh, a certain amount of humidity, of sun, etc., etc., create uh, capability for for tree, for plant to develop certain aroma. Uh, what we are seeing, we are focusing ourselves on oak from from France. Um, we we are seeing a very strong shift due to climate change on where are the good terroir in France. Uh, for the small story, I am, I am um, um, harvesting my trees now around two um, in, in, in miles, um, 150 miles up north where my father used to harvest these trees. He used to harvest his trees in the center of France, Francais, Allier, etc. Those type of forests. Uh, we are seeing huge issue of droughts, of um, uh, of heat waves that we see the trees in a bad situation. You know they are dying there. So that's why we are looking to have. We are going up north in France from Normandy to Alsace. Uh, so we have the best health for the tree. So the best potential of aromas in the trees. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's extremely important. This is why it is just like cooking. Um, but we ourselves are focusing on, on the very restrictive area zone and we are seeking within this area zone. So we are not looking for trees elsewhere. For instance, our grapeseed extracts and tannins. The, the, the tannins we are using, the grapeseed extracts we are, we are using, are coming ex exclusively from the Champagne area. So that's that's the top, and that's the the best uh, area in France. And uh, okay, uh, Champagne is well known around the world for the the quality of its wines and. Uh, 
and of of course the quality goes into the grape seeds as well so the tannins extracted from grape seeds from the champagne area are top in the world yeah yeah and uh, if it is not french oak that we are using we are using american oak uh, and then we are extremely cautious from where does it come from uh in uh, it is well known that in the us there is um some uh, gas uh, schist gas extraction and this technique of uh, getting the the petroleum from the ground is in the same area uh, is it can pollute the soils uh, the big forest of Tennessee and all, all the others are usually in the same area where this petrol is extracted from the ground. So we are extremely cautious. We study, uh, we analyze the, the ground and we study everything. So uh, we are sure that the terroir is safe from every type of pollution. So the tree, which is a plant that takes is, is, uh, is feeding from the ground, uh, doesn't you know, get polluted from inside. So you won't find that in the, in, in the tanning afterwards. It's very interesting. And do, do you think that most of the, the producers of tannin have gone to the trouble to, to have some sort of certification for their, for their materials? Um, is, the, is that fairly common or is that something specific to only one or two manufacturers of tannin? Uh, it's, it's, yes, you, you, there, there are, but... Um... You know, certification is one thing. Uh, honestly, working the ground, looking directly yourself in the area. Um, I, when I walk into the forest, I before looking at the trees, I look at the small plants, uh, like, I don't know the term in, in English, like fougères. Um, you know, they are a type of um, indigenous plants that grows, that give you indication and after you put your hand on the soil and you look what type of, of, of hers you have, those type of things. It's, you know, certification. It's easy to get certified on this or that. It's, it's okay. But uh, we, we are more in a philosophy of, um, we are more like, um, uh, you know, farmers. The, we are more farmers as a philosophy when it comes to um, uh, uh, product sourcing. That makes sense. So I'll make, I'll make one remark uh, in addition to that uh, on certification. The United States has the U.S. Department of Agriculture has the National Organic Program, has various certifiers, predominantly CCOF and Oregon Till. Um, there. Uh, evaluations of those wineries that are buying certified grapes, certified vineyards, certified organic wine. Um, they're getting very specific and very rigid in their standards and their enforcement of those standards. With the history of the um, Amade legacy from the really the forest to the container being EcoCert, which is a well-known certifier throughout the European Union and recognized by the National Organic Program of the USDA. That carries a bit of weight in my mind. Um, 
it's a vertically integrated company. It, it, uh, yeah, it's a very romantic image to see out there in the forest, looking at the plants, feeling the dirt, but it's real. It's real. We've had questions of, can you show me that there is no herbicide or pesticide spray in your wood? Yes. Yes, is the answer to that question. Uh, can you show me that, you know, when you say organic, that it means something? And then in this area of this, this, these years of greenwashing, um, given the importance where it's due, is my point. Yes, it is clear. We are certified, but um, we, we see it as a step. It's not, we, we, we want to, it, it's a philosophy of ours. It's okay we are certified. Okay, we are certified organic CE and NLP and, you know, you, know, you ask us for a paper, you have it. It's, but it's not that. It's, it's really of who we are and how do we, do we uh, walk the ground. It's, uh, yeah, it's part of who we are. Mm -hmm. Well, as a, you know, as a huge fan of the wine industry and, and of course the oak industry, um, I have all this curiosity and I have, you know, about 20 years experience interfacing with winemakers and about 35 years experience pairing wine with food and, and things like that. Um, this is an industry that I love and I still have a great deal of respect for the process and the end results when you, uh, when you're looking at that glass in front of you, I, I think I have a pretty keen appreciation of what goes into that. So from a winemaker standpoint, when you are, you're looking at that fruit that you've waited a year for and all the pressures on you, you have one chance, you know, it, it would be different if you were a brewer and you could do it again next week, but winemakers, you know, there's a little extra pressure. What question would you guys ask as a winemaker that we haven't already covered. If you were thinking about what product to use, knowing what type of fruit you're expecting. As a winemaker, you're responsible for serving your wine public a sound, stable wine of, a, you know, of an expected quality. Whether your price point is $150 a bottle or $7 a bottle, the customer is going to buy your brand with your name on it, expecting a certain experience. You are selling, again, an experience, an organoleptic experience. Uh, when you vary from that experience, there is so much intense competition for that customer's dollar for that purchase that if you do not, if every bottle does not come up to the experience level that that customer is expecting, you've lost market share. There's plenty of $150 bottles out there. There's a lot more $7 bottles out there. So... Why would I, you know, yes, I had that brand. I, it didn't really go with the food I was having or it was served poorly or it wasn't the right temperature. Anything of that consumption experience will tip the customer away from a brand. Authenticity, a story, checking off the boxes, making sure that it is a lifestyle uh, as opposed to a commercial enterprise exclusively. Um, that's that's critical. That's critical, and that that product that as uh, an adjuvant that we provide the customer, that we provide the winemaker, uh, putting that into the arsenal of winemaking tools is going to help them achieve their personal winemaking and financial goals. 
and be able to do it again next year. I like it. I'm getting the feeling right now, like we have probably probably gone as much into detail as we should about uh, fermentation. And um, uh, I think that'll, that'll wrap it up for, for this episode. So thank you gentlemen very much for your time this morning. I think that I should be able to get any of our customers in touch with any of you when they ask a question, which is way over my head, which I would expect and appreciate. Just as a quick reminder, anyone who's listening, you can find me at the on the contact us button at enotools.com. You can find Doug Manning at uh, Doug Manning Consulting, and you can find these other gentlemen by contacting Doug or myself, and we will uh, we will relay the question. Thank you for listening to season one, episode one dot one, all about using tannins at harvest from Enotools University.